And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Augie Nost, author, former radio and television talk show host and producer. From a download with universal consciousness, he has learned many of the secrets of society and of the universe, which we will talk about today. Augie, thank you for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I have coffee in hand and I'm ready to go. Great. You know, we're going to talk about the secrets of the universe, and I want to let people know that we're also going to talk about the Nobel Prize that was given in 2009 for the enzyme that was discovered to reverse the aging process. But I first want to start with your spiritual journey and how you got this download. Oh, yes. Uh, That was several years ago, probably about six or seven, no, make it about eight years ago. And... uh, it was an incredible experience. I have been meditating pretty much almost my adult life. And uh, the way that started, it's, uh, I didn't really expect it because I was sitting in meditation and I could start seeing some light coming around from the periphery of my field of vision. It's just spikes of light coming in and got stronger and stronger and start closing in and then It was all around me, and in there, I could see things in that light. And it was kind of like a pool around me where I could see inventions, I could see concepts of people, so all the way back to the beginning. And it, I could grab on to something that was floating by, and once I concentrate on it, it was brought out, and I could see it in detail. And it lasted for probably no more than seven or eight seconds, and it just faded out. And I was sitting there, I was totally dumbfounded, because I realized what I had seen. I had seen the whole history of the universe. And I realized also that this was going to stay with me. I could reach into there, think of a concept, and it will come back out and I could see it again because I had all of this downloaded into the mind. I didn't say brain. There is more to the mind than the brain. So now I had this information and I thought about that and then, man, oh man, I I can't talk to anybody about this because they're going to think I'm nuts. Well, I did find one guy that I, a fairly educated fellow, and I mentioned it to him, and he said, yeah, that's no problem. He says, I understand. This is all explained in quantum mechanics, he says. These things can happen. And he gave me a couple of books that I should start reading, and I started reading those, and there it was, those things that I was talking about, all the way back to the beginning. Now, We're talking about the Big Bang is the beginning. That actually wasn't the beginning. There was something before the Big Bang. Of course, there was no Big Bang. There was was no bang. There was just a beginning of this 14.3 or 4 billion years of evolution. And then 
there was something before that started. And when you talk about the Big Bang, it, I, I just got to get it out there. There was just no bang, but there was a single particle of thought that lowered its vibration from a higher dimensional existence into this one, and it was empty. And that thought was curious. It re realized empty. That means I can create anything. I wonder what I can create. So it duplicated itself into everything we see today in our universal existence. Are you saying that that thought is God or God consciousness? Uh, the thought isn't necessarily God, but the consciousness behind the thought is probably what could be as close to the concept of God as we can get. And uh, when the duplication happened, it went into all of the concepts and they were laid down a, the rules, so to speak, the laws of physics which everything would be created on the basis of. But now the question is, what do we, what is it what we see around us? Is it nuts and bolts and iron and cats and bones and flesh and hangnails? What is it? Or is it a conscious expression of something? that we have created in here and also the emotional part in the heart to create this existence around us. Uh, we're going off into a, a direction here that maybe needs a little qualification. Let me give you some. If I'm saying that we live in a... Um, Let's say that we live in a mind-created universe. It could need some explanation. Let me give you an example. I am a hypnotist. If I put you in a soft chair and talk to you for about five minutes, and I tell you that when I snap my finger and bring you back out, you will see an elephant standing next to you in the room. Okay, if I did my job right, I snap my finger, bring you back out, you're going to see that elephant. You can see him, you can hear him breathing, you can reach out and touch the snout on that elephant, you can feel the rough skin. But it is a problem. I can't see the elephant because there is no elephant there. And I don't care if you're on the 32nd floor of an apartment building with doors too, too small for the elephant to even make it there. That elephant would be there. So now, what happened to your world? Did it go away? Because there's an elephant there. And you can feel him. It's perfectly real to you. But your mind created that elephant. What's the difference between that elephant and the computer you're sitting here right now looking at? They're both physically real to you. 
So I think that explains a little bit about the mind-created universe. Since the consciousness of God created everything through the Big Bang, and we're here now, are we pieces of God or expressions of God, or is sparks of God within us, like sparks of life? Well, yeah, we are part of it all. We are a spark of life that has been given a temporary separate, um, sensation of separation from the all. So we can go out and create on our own, in our own sphere of influence. And when later on, when we drop the body and go back to the all again, we take all the experiences with us going back. And uh, this, of course, uh, the concept of death is one that usually just happened to other people, right? It just never happened to us. <laughs> but uh, it seems to come around. But uh, on the other hand, I found some really old people. I mean, one guy, he died from an accident at 256. And I'll explain a little bit later on how that can happen. But the thing is that the universe, the consciousness of the universe works through us to create in a physical existence so it can have the experiences of physical existence because a conceptual intelligence has no physical a physicality of its own so it cannot have physical experiences we are the hand and the feet of the universal mind to learn and we take those experiences with us when we go back to the mind so it actually the universal mind grows in experience and capacity and uh, i know some people will call the universal mind god and in a way uh, there's more to it than that but i'm good with that uh, it's okay sometimes we use words differently and mm. you're using our mind versus our body and the universal mind. Where does consciousness fit in relation to those? Consciousness creates it all. And when you say, um, well, we have a soul, it's, it's not that way. It's the other way around. It's the soul that has a, has a body because the soul or the intelligence or the consciousness creates this physical body so it can have experiences. Because we are still within that self-aware, holographically generated, mind-created universe. And uh, quantum mechanics is coming around now to actually start talking about some of these things. I think there was a Russian scientist that came out, a theoretical physicist that came out and said, yeah, he thinks the, the Big Bang never happened. There was consciousness that entered this vibration and started creating. And he is right. What happened before the Big Bang? In this vibration... There was nothing. 
but on other vibrations, on other levels of existence, there is still is and also still was back then teeming with life just like it is here now. Our universe is full of life. People like you and me, people like look different, animals that look different, and conscious being. The, the illusion of existence is not just here in the physical existence, it also rises up into the astral worlds above us in vibration. And up, I don't know how far up it goes, I don't remember much about that, but it, the spiritual entities that has been around for a very long time, they come from a higher vibration, sometimes down here to us. And, you know, you hear people saying that oh, I have a guardian angel. Okay, that's fine. There is a spiritual entity that more or less, I would call it a sign to you to help you and kind of nudge you in different direction. If you're trying to, by yourself, go off the rail, then they are just kind of nudges you back, says, you know, maybe not, you know, it's your choice, but don't do it. I, I, you'll be better off not doing that. And they put thoughts in your head. And that is when you have that little voice in the back of your head saying, are you sure you want to do that? Is it safe? That could be that little voice in the back of your mind. And I remember back... <laughs> Whenever I did not listen to that voice, things went bad sometimes. What about reincarnation? Is that real? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there is much evidence to that. There is, uh, you can go to YouTube and uh, put in the search bar reincarnation. You'll find people that remember previous lifetimes and specific incidents in previous lifetimes. And when you go back and try to verify what they said, it's verified. Like one kid, he said that he was a pilot during Second World War and he crashed the airplane in a swamp right off the coast in France. Okay, uh, actually it was up a river. And he said, yeah, that's what it is. He looked it up on the map and they, the parents went there and the kid said, that's where the plane is and I'm still sitting in it. They dug it up and by golly, there was a plane in there with a skeleton in it. Hmm. So he remembered his previous lifetime when he crashed the airplane right there. Things like that, it happens quite often if you start looking for it. But it is hard to wrap our heads around that we actually, well, you're done with this one, you go back and you have a little bit of a re-education period, you kind of evaluate what you did here, what, you, what did you do right, what did you screw up, what should you actually come back and do over again so you can learn more from it. And then, if you choose, you are going back into another lifetime history, or you can select to stay there 
as a spiritual entity and may become a guide for someone else. So there is many different options. I remember when I was standing, there were other entities. They call themselves the guardians of the soul. And I was standing there. I was looking in a pool. And I could, I had, I think, about three different lifetimes that was presented to me. And I uh, evidently chose this one. I don't remember exactly how about the others, but there were a choice between several. And I was given the choice and I chose. And once I made the choice, things are arranged for for you to go back, get reincarnated, born again, and grow up and have certain experiences, and you will be, it's keyed into your mind, not just the brain, but the mind. And when you do go through that lifetime, you end up making those choices. And the big choices are usually pre-planned. What you're going to do for a living? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? Are you going to have a bad car accident sometime to learn from that? And that's usually predetermined. Now, if you drop your spoon on the floor during breakfast on Thursday, I don't think that's pre-planned. Those are things that just happens. But the major events are keyed into your programs to learn from. So we have a combination of free will and pre-programmed events then. Yeah. In the beginning, when you mentioned that you had this download during meditation, did you have an out-of-body experience at the same time? No. Uh, I don't think so. Not during that time. That's, uh, I was just sitting there in meditation and uh, my eyes closed and all this showed up. It was behind closed eyelids. As I mentioned in the beginning, you have secrets of society and of the universe. Do you also know secrets of the future that haven't happened yet? Oh... I was wondering if you were going to go there. In the astral worlds, there's still time as we know it. But above there, it fades into each other as one past, present, and future at the same time. Now, that doesn't mean that if you are in that reality, you can also see things in linear time because you grab onto a subject that you want to explore, and it comes back out and then stretches out so you can see the beginning and the middle and maybe the future. So time is a very elusive thing. In fact, I saw what time is, and I can explain that if you like. But there are some things in the future. And, uh, you know, what's going on around the world right now is this big UN depopulation program. And uh, the thing about it is that I did not see a big die-off. And uh, that's what people in the know are expecting because of what people have, you know, done to their arm and stuff. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. 
because uh, of what they have done. They expect that, you know, it was intended to, but I don't see it happening. I didn't see it happening. So I think we're okay on that. No, there, a lot of people will go, you know, to another place, but uh, we're already seeing that. Um, uh, the government documents coming out of England that is one one about a one out of four hundred and twenty has gone to another place, but uh, that's for another show, I think. Right now on the planet, it seems like there are more people than ever. Are they all here for some big Earth event that's going to be happening soon that they want to witness? Mm-hmm. There's a separation of realities coming. And uh, in fact, for the ones that really good telescopes out there, place it on the moon and you're going to see stuff circling the moon. There is thousands and thousands of ships out there circling the moon and parked in, in places. There's a guy in Canada, Bruce sees all on the uh, on YouTube. He has a telescope that is big and I could crawl inside of it and uh, I have a comfortable place. And he counts rocks on the moon and he sees ships up. These are here waiting for our separation of reality because we're going to leave the third and the fourth dimension behind and we are going to accelerate into a higher vibration and it is coming there is no timestamp on what I have seen, but it is soon, probably within a year. That's probably what people are calling the ascension, right? Um, yeah, that's what a lot of people are calling it. I'm not so sure that it's actually an ascension. It's just a separation where we vibrate out of where we have been because there is another earth where we are. And it's a little bit bigger, but it is here. Like a multidimensional Earth? Y yes. And uh, it's basically empty, except for vegetation and things like that. So I there will be people. There will be, we will be going probably to that one because that's what it appeared as to me. Is that Earth going to materialize here with this Earth? So there'll be two of them circling the sun? No, I think we will just accelerate out of this one into the higher realm and leave this behind. This will remain in another timeline going into the future. And the ones that are left behind, you know, the, the scuzz buckets of the world or the ones that is not quite... Um, embedded in just negative things, they're going to be left behind and they're not going to have all that much of an um, enjoyable ride. We, we're going to be in a better place compared to that. All right. So you have a book called Spiritual Science, Higher Consciousness Thinking and How to Access the Universal Consciousness. I was reading the back of your book about different questions that the book answers. And one of them is, who was Jesus? Yeah. Or who was Here's he? the book. <laughs> you know, I have no shame, so I had to show it off. That's no problem for me. Yeah, who was he? 
uh, there's a lot of people out there they're running around, they're talking about uh, he never existed. Because if he was such a grand figure at that time, there would be more writing about him. Well, yeah, but he wasn't around very long, for one thing. But there is also enough writing about him that prove he did exist, but not under that name. I love it when people say to me that, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it says, ah, wonderful, that's great. What was his last name? Uh, all I get back is a, an empty stare. Nobody knows. But he did have a last name. In fact, the old papers show that he was operating under three different names. His real name was Yahshua Beth Halachme. Halachme was Joseph's last name. And uh, that's where he was officially, that was his official name. But also, there was another one that he was called Yahshua the Nazorian. Nazorian, that was. Nasorian was a religious fanatical group, an offshoot off of the um, Essenes. They were the militant group of the Essenes. And there's much evidence that he was actually a freedom fighter. And he was part of that group at one time. But, uh, you know, this is a little controversial. And um, if somebody, uh, there is a book out there also called uh, The Jesus Papers. Very interesting book. Because in there, there was a guy that was digging a basement in his, in Jerusalem, he was digging a, a basement to his house. And he found this box. He opened up the box and there was a scroll in it. So they had it, you know, they oiled it, of course, and then they just got it flattened that they could read it. And they found it was the document that Jehoshua Beth Halachme wrote in his defense in the court case against him. And in there it says, I am not God. I am only a spiritual, no, I'm only a man with the spirit of God within me. And uh, that's exactly right. But he, his travels, he spent uh, several years in Egypt on a, on a small island in the, um, in the Nile, almost out of the mouth of the Nile, and he spent uh, well over a decade in India learning, and that's where he met Maria Mene. Maria Magdalene, um, Magdalene was, I guess, his, her second name. I, there's never any last name for her, but Maria Mene is what she was called among her contemporaries. And she is the one that Yahshua Beth Halakma learned from when he went to India. And he learned equality of people.
women were as important as men. And when he came back to Judea and started teaching equality of men and women, that didn't go over too well with the Jewish, you know, back then. They didn't like that at all because the men had to be, you know, the supreme. So they didn't like him very much. And he made some enemies. And uh, you know the story, they did unspeakable things to him, but he also, according to the old documents I found, and you'll, you'll read about this in the book, the fact is that he never did die on the cross because they were late putting him up. And there was Passover the next day, and Roman law said that nobody could be crucified or hanging on the cross during Passover. And the Passover started at 6 o'clock in the evening when the sun went down at the time. And so they he was up there for six hours, and they took him down, and he survived. The fact that people survived the crucifixion is not just all uncommon. There was a lot of people that survived it. So he was not alone, though he was one hurting puppy when he came down. But so, they, you know, they, they use ointment and herbs and things, and they, they got him somewhat fixed up. And the old papers show that he was taken from there and went across the ocean. They didn't say which ocean, but I would think that would be the Mediterranean all the way to France. I think they uh, there there is papers actually or uh, writings in France showing that he was there at one time, but mm -hmm. he also from there went back to India and he traveled again and he he died as a very old man. There is old Roman records show a man with his name buying land outside of Rome in the year 63. So he did not die on the cross. Who created the Bible? Who? Well, there was um, 223 people that got together in um, Constantinople, and uh, they were ordered by the, em the Roman emperor, Constantine, he told them, go to Nicaea, create a religion that will unify my empire and do not emerge before you have done so. And he picked, and others picked these 223 people and sent them to Nicaea. Because Constantine, he looked at the Jews and he said, they never fight among themselves. They are peaceful people. They never even argue hardly. He wanted his empire to be like them. So he told the people, go to Nicaea, create a religion like them, which there are no conflict. Oh, well, you know how that worked. <laughs> he, <laughs> they created the religion and uh, get your hands on the, um, the notes from the meetings at Nicaea. You will find out 
they lied their face off when they created that book. They took 9,000 scrolls from old records all the way back to Sumerian tablets and do, from India, and they took those 9,000 scrolls and tablets and they uh, went through that. They picked what they chose out of those old records, put it into the book, which is translated the Bible, the Bible, and accredited to their new God. And when they got done, there was a vote because they could not agree if they should give this man, Jesus, deity status or not. Many said that we haven't seen him do anything that other spiritual people can do. But they remembered. The emperor said, do not emerge before you have done so. So they had to give, they had to create a God there. So they created, created Jesus as a God because they voted. And there were several people that voted against making Jesus a God. And they were taken from the meetings, removed. It was said that they were removed to the north. Mm -hmm. But I got a sneaky suspicion that they were done away with because they didn't want any dissension. In religion, people are also taught how to pray. Yeah. Why? What's the significance of praying? It is very important if it is done right. If you don't do it right, it's worthless. And um, that's one of the things that most holy books do, don't tell you how to do. So-called holy books. I, um, there is a spiritual universal language. This language is not taught to us. We know about it, but it is not taught to be used in the connection of prayer. If you're sitting around the kitchen table on Sunday and, you know, as a family and you all hold hands and you say, well, you know, God, we need $470 because I, I need to pay the rent next month or something like that. And then pass the butter, Martha, you know, I'm hungry, let's eat. That doesn't go anywhere. The spiritual language that can help you create in the physical is one of emotion, gratitude for already having it, intention of doing what you can to help the universal mind create for you, and love. And you wrap that in around what you want. You wrap that in, uh, what you want, wrap it in those emotional, intended, and gratitude, and love. You're going to see some things happen. Let me give you an example. You can actually create from seemingly nothing. And we do that. Because... Anori Love and I, we have created a mastermind where we got some phenomenal spiritual and powerful minds in it. 
Uh, one example was that about two months ago, there were all kinds of forest fires in Northern California. And one lady, she texted me and she said, I think I'm, I'm scared. I, I think my house is going to burn. The fires are coming closer and closer. And I'm taking my animals. I'm going into town where it's probably safer. Is there anything you can do on the mastermind to help me? And I said, well, yeah, let's do something tomorrow because that was Sunday and that's when we do it at 11 o'clock Pacific time. We wrapped our mastermind around her, her house in Northern California. And we used the spiritual language. We saw ourselves, visualize ourselves standing in the rain, howling rain, our hair is wet, water running down our face, our clothes are wet right to the skin. My boots were filling up with water. And we felt wonderful because we knew it. the fires were put out and it will do great things for the land. This is what we visualized. And we were done uh, and we did an hour with a discussion afterwards. And an hour after that, she called me and she said, it's raining. Now, the thing is that it wasn't clear skies before. There were a few clouds, but there were blue sky in between those clouds. There were no moisture up there that could create the rain. But in a matter of an hour and a half or so, it thickened up, darkened, and turned into howling rain, and all the fires were put out. That is what happens when you use the spiritual language. You speak with the universal mind, and you tell it want what you want in its language. Think of it. If you go to Bulgaria and you start speaking Spanish, what's going to happen? Will they understand you? Probably not. Same thing here. We have our language. The universe have its language, its emotion, vivid, colorful images, gratitude for already having it, and love. Mm. When we use that in our prayers, things change. Are you saying that this language is the universal success principle or only part of it? Yes, absolutely. And this works for absolutely anything. Now, there are some universal laws that will guide it in the direction that the universe needs to have it happen. And whenever you pray for something, make sure you pray for something that is good for more than three people. If you pray for just yourself, that selfishness, in if could be all right if you you know got a bad disease or something it could work because then the benefit of what you get will benefit other later but try to make it good for more than three people as a family you can do it because if you have more than three people obviously it's good for all of you every family should have a family meeting at least once a week when they decide on what are we going to work on this week? What can we create that is more and better than what we did last week? They need to have a plan. The problem is that most people, they spend more time planning their vacation than they're planning their life. 
That's kind of stupid, isn't it? <laughs> On the back of your book, you talk about the success principle that you can only learn by talking to billionaires. Does this success principle have anything to do with what we were speaking of? Or is it something completely different? Yeah, it can be used for that. But when you speak with billionaires, there's another concept in the middle of it, and that is money. And the universe doesn't understand money very well because that's a man-made creation. Now, exchange of energy, it understands. And we have to visualize and money as an energy. When we do that, then we can import the universal mind to help us. If you think, oh, I want a million dollars and you got a picture of a million dollar bill or something like that on your computer. Well, yeah, it's a piece of paper. What's the story? Um, no, you got to think of it as energy. And there are some principles that you really should adhere to. And one of them is, <clears throat> there is two things that go to the bank. One of them is money, and the other one is goodwill. And they have equal value at different times. You, once you start going into that arena, you will know when that applies. <clears throat> Let's say that you have a contract in front of you, you really want it, but you can't make any money with it because it isn't big enough. Instead of calling the other guy, says, nope, can't do it, off. No, let him know. I really would like to work with you, but I don't see how I can survive doing it. I just can't do it this time, but I'll tell you, whenever you get something else, give me a chance. Develop an emotional connection with who you have to turn down. They will find something that they will come back with that you can do well with maybe the second or the third time. What do you mean develop an emotional connection with them? Speak to them, speak to his heart, not his brain. And uh, another question, I'll, I'll tell you what, listeners, take this question I'm going to ask you and work on it. And the question is, what would you start tomorrow morning? If you knew you could not fail. Think on that for a little bit. But don't settle on anything for at least 24 hours. Think of many different things that you want, but grow in it. Make it bigger and bigger. Because I guarantee you, you don't know how to think big enough. I guarantee it. Do you think we can have whatever we want? The answer is yes, but it needs a little qualification again. What if you want a Boeing 747 for your private airplane? How likely do you think that is in the next week or two? 
What if that's what you wanted? How likely do you think that would be? I just happen to know what they cost. There we go. Our mind decides for us that, oh, that's unlikely. No, that's not going to happen. So I guarantee you it won't happen. What if your mind was so strong that is absolutely what you want? Start thinking in possibilities. Let's say you went and bought a lottery ticket, and that week the pot was $1.3 billion. You could go out and spend $120 million on an airplane, couldn't you? All you have to do is to start thinking in possibilities and think things will happen if you believe it strong enough. Are you with me on that one? Oh, yeah. Still want that airplane? Sure. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll ride with you. Uh, maybe I'll ride in the front office. I'm a pilot, you know. <laughs> That's right. What is the biggest spiritual secret? that you have learned, the biggest of them all? The biggest secret. Um, I think the biggest secret is that we don't know what, not who, but what we are. We are a spiritual being having created a physical existence for ourselves to learn and grow in spiritual capacity. All the others are details, but that's the one goal. You're saying that our body is a manifestation from our consciousness. Yep. Quantum mechanics is with me on that one. I talk to a lot of people who have had near-death experiences, and mm -hmm. a lot of them come back saying that what's the most important thing we should know or practice is love. Where does love fit in with all of this? Yeah. Most, I would say most near-death experiences are positive. Though there are some that say, I found myself out there and I could not see anything and suddenly I'm back on the operating table again and I'm hurting like hell, but I'm, I'm alive. A very small percentage find themselves in a place which is not that good. But that usually is because of what they believe. But then again, I just happened to know a guy that was a, um, he was a sniper for the U.S. Army in Vietnam. And I think he had something like 20, 21 um, verified kills of people that he shot in cold blood and killed them. And he came back and he found religion and he was totally convinced that, yep, I'm going downstairs to the, you know, the other place down there next to the furnace. But then he had an NDE, near-death experience. And he was taken to a wonderful place, huge crystalline buildings, people in white robes, and they was filled with love. And he had 
access to anything he could think of, it showed up for him. He said it was wonderful. And then they worked on him and they brought him back because he was told it's not your time. You got to go back. You got to tell people about this. So he came back and he said, I was wrong. Man, oh man. I killed 20, 21 people, but I still went to what he called heaven. So I think it is somewhat in relation to what we believe, but there is no rule on this one. I think that all depends on the destiny of the soul. His destiny very likely was that he was going to have that near-death experience, go back, find out what it really is like in the higher vibrations, and come back and talk about it. But I think if good people that have a visualized image of what it would be afterwards, they're going to be in a good place. I'm going to go back to this. What about love? Love? There, and what's the importance of it? I have to recite Albert Einstein. He said that I have studied the universe more than most people. And I have found that the whole universe is created out of the vibration of love. So, with other words, everything in this universe has the vibration of love in it. And um, I didn't understand that a lot, but it's starting to make sense because it has. It's just like a, there's a theoretical physicist named James Gates. And he said that when we go deep in the equations explaining the fabric of space, we find computer language, ones and zeros. We did not put it there. But it is there, and it is too organized and too symmetrical to be placed there by accident. There is an intelligence that created this computer program. Evidently, there is that universal mind that has set up, set down the laws of physics, expressing itself in a computer program. So in other words, we are in a computer program. We are a holographic expression of the universal mind or our spark of life, which is our soul, so to speak. And I think in there, he said, the vibration of love is in the equations. Now, when you said computer program, yeah. it makes me think that we're all living in a simulation. Yes. Now the question is, we, we uh, the, um, the science show we are in a computer program. I, I can actually kind of buy that, but what I'm more interested in, who's sitting at the computer? Yeah. <laughs> I found out who it was. It's us. We create our reality here on the basis of our free will as well as 
programs of certain things that we will be doing while we are here. Are you saying that our higher self is possibly sitting at the program or the computer? I think the higher self is what creates our expression uh, in the physical expressions of this program. The higher self is not physical or even not even mental. It is a higher vibratory spiritual entity that I would think would be somewhere at least above the seventh or eighth level of existence compared to what we are here in the fourth. You know, we're, we're told that we live in a three-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. No, we're not. Three dimensions, that's length, width, and height. Now you have a box. Nothing happens in that box unless you add the fourth dimension to it, which is time. Because now you can put something in that box and you can move it around using time. So the next one is the fifth dimension, and that's where we're going. What are you adding to that? Adding to to the fifth? Yeah, because, you know, the third dimensions, as you explained, and then you added the fourth dimension, which is time. What are we adding to that to get to the, to have the fifth dimension? It is an increase in vibration out of where we are to a higher level of existence with more access. And in some ways, I'm not so sure we will even know when we get there, because it it will look maybe the same possibly, except that maybe things work easier. You can think of something and it shows up. So it becomes easier and we are not going to be thinking of war and screwing our neighbor over, you know, something like that. It, it, it's not going to be even a consideration. There will be peace. Is it possible that the fifth dimension is, as you said, increasing vibration or increasing energy, and now you're outside of the box? So you can be... And possibly you can be outside of the box controlling the inside of the box. Oh, I think you're right. Absolutely. You're not in the box anymore. And you can still probably interact with what's in the box to a certain degree, but not too far down the vibrations because that's that'll the way I saw it. it There is many timelines going into the future from where you are. This timeline where we are right now with all the misery in Eastern Europe and places, that's going to go off in its own timeline. And those of us that is, like you said, ascending into a higher vibration, we're not going to know anything about that anymore. That'll be just gone. But I think we can interact with some of the things that we would want to if we wanted to interact into a lower vibration. It's just like spiritual beings, they can see into our world. We just can't see them because our eyes limit us. We can only see within a certain 
level of the vision of the light specter. So I think that's different on that side. We're able to see a bigger portion of what's going on. If you take a fourth generation, hey, this is for you UFO buffs out there. Hmm. I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, get a hold of a fourth generation night vision goggle. Go outside at night, point them into the sky. You're going to see UFOs, ships flying all over. the. There's a traffic jam out there. You can see the cigars. You can see triangles. You can see weird-looking things sipping along, suddenly making a 90-degree turn at thousands of miles an hour. Planes don't do that. So fourth-generation night vision goggles, and even the third, you can see some of it. Do you think that extraterrestrials are in the 3D world with us, or they're in another dimension where the spirit guides are? They are everywhere. I think UFOs, I think, come from many different sources. Um, I think some of them we make right here in America at Area 51 and places like that, or in the caverns on the moon where they have, they're making the really large ones. And then they could be interdimensional beings coming here, flying ships, and we see them. They are going through portals and stuff and they disappear. And then again, they have some that come from other planets within our vibration and the fourth dimension here coming from other planets here, visiting and going back home again. And I guess there's a fourth part of UFOs, and that is people that is coming back from the future, visiting us, and then going back home again. So I guess there's four different ways that... Did you learn from your download how humans were created? Did we evolve or are we a product of accelerated evolution or genetic manipulation? There has been many, many civilizations on Earth that have had higher technological capability than we have. And they have destroyed themselves from either themselves doing it or catastrophic events that wipe them out pretty much. So there is always a few that survive and they, of course, you know, they don't have access to anything. So they forget and then society have to start over again. And uh, when it comes to us, uh, we were created by the Anunnaki about 270,000 years ago, about so. And, uh, they took a being in uh, in hominid that was there at the time. They modified it genetically. They took uh, the the second gene and took that out and stuck a stuck in two ends on it, which which you call the telomeres, and put it back in. So they created a limitation to aging. Oh, that, that's another one we got to talk about. Right. But they created man. The first one was not Adam. It was Lulu. It's right in the writings of the Sumerian tablets. And uh, they created uh, 
and and uh, he was kind of squirrely, so they improved on that and they came up with the Adama. And they made a whole bunch of them. And they were not happy because, first of all, they had no companions or anything, so later on they created what they called Shava, which was uh, she of life is what uh, came to trans be translated from into what we call Eve today. Eve and Shava was pronounced pretty much the same way back then. And uh, from there on, we have come to what we have today. That's how man was created, anyway. All right, in the beginning we spoke about the enzyme that was discovered to reverse yeah. the aging process. What enzyme is that? Well, yeah, this is some of the listeners has been waiting for this one. Uh, let me let me give a little background information. In 2009, three doctors was given the Nobel Prize for discovering an enzyme that reverses the aging process. And nobody told you. That should have been the most extravagant medical discovery this millennia. But nobody knows about it. Well, the thing is that, don't take my word for it, go to the Nobel Committee's website, go to 2009, scroll down to medical submissions, and read the papers. You're going to love it. Because it's quite voluminous, but if you have a little bit of a technical mind, it'll make sense to you. <clears throat> and then somewhere in those papers, I read, I think it was just a small section. <clears throat> One of the doctors made the comment, if we had enough of this enzyme in our bodies, there will be no reason for anyone to ever die from old age. Now, that is powerful. So then it brings the question, what is that enzyme? The enzyme that they came up with was telomerase. And telomerase, I guess, however you pronounce it, but the thing is that science has found what causes aging and death. They even figured that out back in the 1990s when they did the genome project. They found number three reasons. I'm going to narrow it down to one. There are many other contributaries. If you drink 18 cups of coffee and you, you know, drink Coca-Cola and go to McDonald's every day and have three meals over there, yeah, you could last at least a month, I'm sure. But uh, do the right thing to keep your body healthy because your body is a self-correcting machine if you give it what it needs to replicate itself. But we don't because we go to the grocery store and buy poisons and we call it food. Well, I'm going to get some slack on that, flack on that one, but that's okay. Uh, science found that what causes aging is that the end of the chromosome, which is called the telomeres, 
they are getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter for every time the cell replicates itself. When the telomeres at the end of the chromosome get so short, there's nothing there anymore. Then the end of the chromosome starts fraying and the cell is no longer able to replicate itself. And you get stuck with old cells in the body. You get more and more of them and you get older, you get more wrinkled and you're going to eventually die. If you have enough of this telomerase or telomerase in the body, it affects the telomeres, so they will not shorten. With other words, they hold the end of the chromosome together, so the cells are able to replicate themselves, and the aging stops. If we started taking the telomerase today, does the aging stop where we're at, or do we actually reverse age and get a little bit younger? Well, that's a good question. When I start, I am on this program, I'm 76, and uh, uh, in fact, in this book here, I explain on how to, what I do. And uh, if, you, if you read that, you, you will know what I do, and it works for me. But the thing is that we need this enzyme, you know, I got sidetracked. What was your question? I was saying that if you take this enzyme, not only will you reverse your age, but yeah. will you get younger? Well, first of all, I expected that it's going to start. When I started on this, probably around, I don't know, five years ago, four. Yeah, I might be around four. Uh, <clears throat> I expected it to be really fast. It's going to wipe out aging altogether. But I'm finding that it doesn't do that. It kind of reverses it at the same speed as you were aging before. That's kind of what it looks to me like. But it does stop it. But to reverse it is slower than what I thought it would be. So uh, the good thing is that being 76, I, I work 12, 16 hours a day, and I have more energy than anybody I know half my age. Of course, I do a lot of my work at the computer, but also when I'm out, I exercise, I have a lot of energy. And I'm not on any pharmaceuticals. I don't believe in it. So, you know, people 20 years younger than me, they're usually on about 10 pharmaceuticals by now. So there is something that we can do to stop and also reverse the aging. And um, this is something that when you start reversing the aging process, all age-related diseases will go away. Now, that's important for people with all kinds of dementia and you name it. Things go away. Does telomerase exist naturally in a plant or something else? Oh, that's good. Uh, there's two different sources for it that I have found. I'm doing it the cheap way. I'm taking some Chinese herbs, which helps the body to create its own 
telomeras. Because uh, younger, you create a lot of it, and then when you start aging, then you create less and less and less and less until there's nothing left. But the pharmaceutical companies, they found out about this. And they started experimenting. They came up with a, a uh, pharmaceutical that is called TA-65. TA-65. You can research it. And uh, it's, it's supposed to stop the aging process. Uh, I have researched that, and I see some people say it worked wonderful for me, and the other people, most people, they're saying, yeah, I didn't do nothing. But I am doing it the cheap way, and that is to take certain Chinese herbs. Astragalus is one of them, and that is the most important herb. That is what the people used in the uh, experiments with uh, telomeras uh, that got the Nobel Prize. There's also uh, uh, medical research that show that <clears throat> astragalus in the large doses will slow down, stop, or reverse the aging process. There's a lot of medical research on that. There's a book up there on the shelf. Uh, let me see what it's called. Um, uh, how to re reprogram your DNA for optimum health. That's what it is. That's the title of the book. And they don't go into a lot about how to do it, but they explain the medical research. And it says that... Um, when astragalus is taken in the large doses, it is equal to or better than TA65. And uh, there is um, a lot of people I found out there that is very old. Uh, in, uh, in the mid-1950s, there was a guy that came, um, a university professor came over from China to, the, to New York on an exchange program. Uh, he was teaching at the university, and one evening they, he went out with some colleagues, and they had dinner, and he got food poisoning and died. So, of course, you know, he ended up at the morgue, and uh, they started looking through his papers, and they said, well, a minute, there's something wrong here. So they called the ambassador and said, something wrong with this paper because it shows that he's 154 years old. That can't be, can it? And the ambassador said, yeah, he is. And uh, they asked the ambassador, how can that be? And the ambassador told them, this is in, in the paper, uh, for the first he knew he could not ever die. And for the second, he only ate Chinese herbs and berries for food. Now that's one. But I found another one. He was a martial arts instructor for the um, Chinese army for as long as anybody had known. And he died from an accident at 256. The government verified his age on three different occasions. He died in the late 1930s. And at the time, the New York Times had a, a reporter in Japan and they told, they found out about this, so they told him, go to China and investigate this. 
So they, he went there and he talked to the people in the village. They showed him the papers where the government verifies age, in fact, congratulating him on his 150th birthday or 200 also. <clears throat> and they verified that, yeah, this guy, he died at the age of 256. So we found out he was martial art instructor for one thing, so he probably, you know, knew how to take care of the body, but he was also a herbal instructor. And I found out what he ate, and I write about it in the book. And astragalus, geogolin was two herbs that was on the list. Geogolin herb is called the immortality herb in China. So we're finding out that the human body has tremendous capability of old age. I also found farmers in Mideast countries. One farmer, he died at 170-something, and there's a woman, 168, I think, uh, two, three years ago, she died. And there was a big thing in all the newspapers in the Middle East. But, you know, of course, there was nothing in the American newspapers about it because they don't want you to know about these things, knowing there is a UN depopulation program. So anyway, that's, that's pretty much the story on it. And you can go back and run this show, listen to it again, and you can find out what I do by reading the book Broadcast, you know, also, I have a video on it on broadcastteamalpha.com. Uh, if you scroll down into the videos, there is one there about reversing the aging process. You can watch that also. That's a, a radio show that Nori Love and myself are doing every week. And uh, if you get the, the, the real detail is here <clears throat> spiritual science, higher conscious thinking, and how to access the universal consciousness. You'll find it on uh, Amazon and bookstores and stuff. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Oh, absolutely. I am totally open to people because one of the things that I do, I tell people, if you read this book three times, call me because we need to talk. Because if you read it three times, you will be able to uh, or should I say qualify to go to stage two because I teach people how to use their mind in ways that you normally would think would be impossible. Are you working on anything else that you want us to know about? Uh, well, we have the mastermind. Nori and I put together this mastermind. And if you want to be part of something that is totally incredible, where we bend the laws of physics in what we do sometimes. Send us an email and I'll get you some information. Uh, send the email to the mastermindconnection at gmail.com. The mastermindconnection at gmail.com. And I'll get you some information and a link to you can come and observe and participate and whatever you like to check out. And also the, um, the website that we have is broadcastteamalpha.com. And uh, we have a lot of 
podcast and I have a few of my old TV shows in there. It talks about time travel and you can hear about that too. I'm probably the only one that I know of that actually have photographic evidence of time travel. That's a good reason to have you back. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> What's your YouTube channel called? Uh, Broadcast Team Alpha. Well, Augie, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? One last positive message. Learn who you are. You are a spiritual being having a physical experience. And remember, there are no limitations to what that physical experience can do because of its source. So think of it. Whatever is in your mind is what you're going to have in your life. Make sure there's good things in your mind. Do not accept or settle on negative things. Get rid of them. Get them out of your mind. Stay positive and create your future around that spiritual language, which I mentioned before. Place that into the future at a time-coded event. And then go back and forth and visit that event every day. And you get drawn up that timeline to the point when linear time catches up with that spot in the future, you just walk into it and it is yours. Augie, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest. You're so welcome. This was fun. Uh, like I always say, you know, I never met a microphone that I didn't like. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this was fun. All right. Like I said earlier, maybe we'll get you back and we'll talk about time travel and more. Yeah, you just call and I'll be there. Great. If, right. uh, if, if you listeners like to have me back, let him know to him. I'd I like to come back. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great rest of your day in Tucson. Okay. Take care now. In the words of Spock, live long and prosper. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.